1: Gabriella Rosa, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you. Your business is called the Rosa Institute Fertility Breakthrough Program, the Rosa Institute.
2: The Rosa Institute, absolutely. Um,
1: You're the founder and uh, clinical director of um, that particular institute. Um, I guess kick it off and tell me what the Rosa Institute does.
2: So we help couples overcome infertility and recurrent miscarriage, even when other treatments have failed. And we treat a lot of people with long-standing infertility, recurrent miscarriage, and many treatments that have not worked up until that point.
1: So, therefore, are your treatments different? Yeah,
2: or? they are indeed. Yeah, yeah it's a
1: di- it's a different, uh, but this in a science sense, like in a in a medical sense, I mean, um, yes, or yes. is it differently uh, delivered?
2: I think that it's a combination of all of those factors. So just to give you a little bit of background, so I was originally trained as a naturopathic practitioner. I then went on to do a master's in reproductive medicine and human genetics. And then from there, I went to Harvard to do a master's in public health. And I'm currently doing a doctorate in public health right now. And so basically the way that we work that's very different, we integrate the best of both worlds, I like to say, you know, in terms of fertility. Because if you go, the healthcare system is structured in a very specific way, which is, you know, there, there is a way in which you go, let's say, for example, you've just started trying to have a baby, it's not working, you go to your GP, without much conversation in a five-minute consultation, typically, you're just told, look, well, here's a referral Go and talk to an IVF doctor. And when you get there, the conversation very much veers toward, you know, okay, let's go into IVF, rather than, you know, taking a few steps back and figuring out, okay, what is actually happening here? Why is this not working? And what perhaps needs to be done to remove those obstacles to give a couple the best possible chance? of taking home a healthy baby, you know. So there's, <laughs> I could go into and dive so deep with you in terms of healthcare system structures and and alignment in healthcare uh, payments and all of those types of things. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that every system is structured to deliver the result that it delivers, right? And so if a couple goes to have that conversation and the only option they're given is, okay, go and do this. And we know that, you know, in terms of IVF, it's a large percentage, almost 70% of cycles fail. And so we know that even though it is the standard therapy, it's not necessarily the most effective treatment for every couple undergoing that challenge. Hence why, you know, when we did a study of our patient cases, we did a seven year analysis, this was my master's project at Harvard, and we did a seven year analysis, 544 patients, and we saw that almost 50% of those patients had previously experienced failed IVF treatments and of the the all the patients that came to the, to us 78.8% actually took home healthy babies 47.7 of those, so more than half, you know, actually. Close enough, yeah. yeah, well, of the 78.8. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, so more than half actually ended up taking home babies via natural conception, even though previously they had gone and done failed IVF. So, you know, there are different ways, and there are ways in which these days, you know, when we look at the trends of what has changed over the last 10 years, when it comes to fertility, one of the things that really is quite clear is that now at least there is a little bit more research in terms of lifestyle medicine, environmental medicine, and how those factors actually affect reproductive function. So we're having a little bit more of an insight, but still it's very much a an industry that's geared towards IVF. So when we talk about, you know, what are the differences between what we do and perhaps what a general kind of IVF um, industry is focused on doing, we're not by any stretch, you know, kind of recommending that people don't do IVF. Some people actually need it. And even some of our patients, we will refer them. I just don't think that it should be the first line of in- intervention. So you're you know? the step,
1: so it fair to say you're the step before IVF.
2: Well, I mean, I went to, doc- to do a doctorate at Harvard because I really believe that there needs to be a step before IVF that is scientifically based and sound, for being able to offer couples, you know, uh, options in terms of fertility. When we talk about fertility options, really it's very limited in what options actually exist. And there is a lot of misinformation and disinformation when it comes to lifestyle, environmental, diet, you know, all of these types of factors. So there, in fact, the, that's part of what my doctoral project addresses. It's looking at how do we help people, because there's a lot of confusion. So how do we help people feel More, um, well, less confused is one, right, but also debunk some of these myths that are perpetuated through social media, for example, you know, because there's a lot of the reason as to why lifestyle medicine is difficult to be embraced to the degree that really it should be in medicine is because doctors just don't have the time. I mean, think about the last time that you went to your doctor with, you know, let's say, for example, if you go in and you have high blood pressure. You know, it's a prescription is a five second thing to do. It's like, here, take this pill. But if I was to sit with you and counsel you on all of the things that you need to do, how you need to sleep, how you need to exercise, what you need to eat and what you need to avoid, how how much water you should drink and what kind of water you should drink. I mean, already we've spent, you know, half an hour having that conversation. So the system, the, the medical system, the healthcare system is not structured for prevention it's not structured for helping people to have the best possible level of health it's very gr- it's great for emergencies it's very it's wonderful when we have to put out a fire when you need surgery when you need you know massive intervention because otherwise you're going to die healthcare system is fabulous but when it comes to really addressing things that are more nuanced that take more time and need more um personalization still i think we're very far behind and this is not you know we treat couples in every continent other than antarctica at, at this point you know like i started i transitioned my bricks and mortar clinic to a uh, online business in 2013 it's uh, So way before the pandemic. So we started doing telehealth way before it was sexy. You know, in fact, I used to have people talk to me and go, oh, but hang on, you don't have a place I can go. I actually want to go somewhere. <laughs> and after the pandemic, people were like, do I have to go somewhere? <laughs> you know, so that was a big, a big interesting shift that I saw. But, um, but the reason that we transitioned, I mean, there were many reasons that surrounded that, but I started having people ask me like, Look, I'm not having success here and I don't know what else to do. And I've heard that you get success with these kinds of situations. Can you help me? And so it started to be kind of like referrals from people for, for, who had friends in Sydney, I started working with people in Hong Kong, then I started working with people in the US, then I started working with people in, in the UK. And so it went. But the reason that that was, a, you know, became a learning experience for me as well, because healthcare systems are different <laughs> in different parts of the world. But what I can say is that when it comes to this structural setup that we've just described, that I just discussed, you know, that you go in and it's a five minute conversation that happens in every place around the world, in every healthcare system, whether it's universal or not, it happens. Well,
1: let's say, let's say, for example, Rosa, um, and bear with me here because, uh, you know, I had, I got four sons and, and uh, you know, IVF, I don't even know if it existed back then they're all in their 30s and 40s, um, probably didn't, maybe didn't, i never heard of it, but uh, a couple uh, for some reason are struggling to conceive. Ordinarily, as you say, they go to the GP and the GP would refer them to an IVF clinic. I think mm-hmm. they're probably best described as a clinic and I don't even know what IVF is. Um, um, I can but, explain that to you in a moment. But I'll come back to that. <laughs> so, But what would, let's say um, the couple are, and I, and I might set myself up here a little bit, but, you know, like, he smokes, she doesn't. They both work in high-pressure jobs. They eat, eat shit a lot, um, don't exercise enough. Uh, probably never see the sun, sunlight, because they're in high-pressure jobs. Um, haven't had a holiday for a long time are they the sort of signs that IVF probably can't even solve? Because before you go to IVF, I presume, and you can explain me what IVF is, but you've got to get healthy first.
2: You know, I love that. Okay, so what I love about what you've just said, all of that, is that you clearly don't know a lot about fertility, which is fabulous no. because having that conversation with someone who understands, it's it's different to having it with someone who doesn't understand. And like you, there will be many people who don't exactly understand. But you've touched on something that is the most important thing when it comes to fertility, which is a healthy body is a fertile body, right? And so when you are wanting to address, not that lifestyle is treatment, on its own it's not treatment, but it is the foundation upon which we can overlay effective treatment, and so if you're doing all of those things, if you drink, smoke, do cigarettes, you know, like all of those, those factors are going to diminish and decrease your fertility and your ability to keep a healthy pregnancy to term. And fertility is a team sport. So already tick for you, <laughs> you, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. You have to have two healthy prospective parents in order to be able to have the best possible outcome. Well,
1: what does that mean then, healthy prospective parents? So well, I'll, equally I know guys who smoke, drink, And they they still, their wife still, or their partner managed to get pregnant. Yeah. Um, What does a healthy person mean? Or
2: okay, that's that's a great question. And let's put it this way, because like what you said is exactly true. You know, and lots of people compare people who are having difficulty conceiving, who have gone through multiple cycles that haven't worked, and multiple years of infertility, with people who conceive without trying. Those are different people. Okay, so that's the first thing. Are
1: they? Do you mean they're outliers—the people who do conceive? The, is bo-
2: both, both is true, right? Outliers on both ends. Yep. Because what happens is that there are people out there. In fact, most people—you know—if you look at the way in which fertility actually occurs, most people conceive without trying in the general population. It's. It is the. Even though we talk about infertility, and there is a lot of conversations around, and there is a lot of systems and 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 uh, treatments and services now available to address infertility, infertility is uncommon. That's why it's also not something that is highly uh, invested in from a healthcare perspective. From-
1: that right. So it's it's not as common. It's not that common.
2: No, most no people are fertile. Not. Most people are fertile. One in six couples experience infertility. percent. Right, you know, that mm. definitely is something that is worth noting. However, out of those people, most people in the general population conceive without trying. In fact, what happens is that, you know, if we look at across at peak fertility, it would take three conception attempts in order to take home a baby for the average person. So literally it's have sex, get pregnant, have a baby, done, we're no longer having this conversation. When we're still having this conversation, then we need to figure out, okay, what are the factors that are getting in the way? Because it's never just one thing. Infertility and recurrent miscarriage and all of those issues are multifactorial issues, right? So you might be in a situation where you have a, an older guy who does things that are not necessarily the best thing with a 20-year-old and you're more likely to be able to actually affect a pregnancy and take a healthy pregnancy to term. But what happens is that nowadays we're seeing the opposite trend. We're seeing a situation where most people are getting pregnant much later in their reproductive window. You mean trying to get pregnant. Trying to get pregnant and or even – Getting pregnant, right? Because yep. when when we we still we we live so much longer than we used to, but our biological ability to reproduce is still very much what it used to be a hundred years ago. And so what happens is when you're trying to get pregnant at the age of forty, when our grandparents, were, you know, were dying basically. You know, most people at the age of my great grandmother, great great well, great grandmother, and before that. Well, having babies at 14, they already had their third child or more, Hmm. right? And so basically that's what was normal and natural in terms of biological ability. We now have a situation, and by 40, literally, people were dying, right? Now we have a situation that we live to where 80, but our fertility has almost, you know, kind of come to a halt at around the age of 40. So there are all of these women? You're talking about women? Look, I'm talking about fertility in general women yes have a very finite window where when you hit menopause that's it you can conceive can you
1: explain it to me then so like you said 40 but like i mean i don't know when menopause starts but maybe you can explain it to me like is there what is sort of the range i mean don't give me the bottom range because it's probably 13 14 or something like that but the top of the range
2: yeah so menopause for most women is around 50 Right. Perimenopause, where cycles become irregular and we have imbalance that? of hormones, is, perimenopause is, is the five to ten years before menopause.
1: Right. and what's, what, what, what what So what, what
2: happens in perimenopause is it already becomes more difficult to get pregnant.
1: And why is that? Because has a woman got a finite number of eggs or something? Yes. Like, yeah. So
2: we're born with all the eggs. I mean, this conversation might be very different in 20 years from now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I have conversations. I've been doing this work now for 24 years, yeah, yeah. like literally. So I look at the conversation. Conversations that I used to have in the beginning to the conversations that I have now, they're quite different. So do women have more so, eggs
1: now than less eggs now than you had twenty four years ago? Well,
2: you know, environmentally speaking, with the with the um, effects that we have, the exposures that we have in chemicals and all sorts of things, it's not that we have less eggs, some women do, but it's that they are they die sooner, faster, they're not as good quality because essentially all of these environmental factors that are thrown at the body, the body has to somehow balance, right? And so it, it doesn't quite cope as well. And so what happens is, and just going back to your first question, which is, you know, like what is perimenopause and why does that actually make a difference? What happens with that is that if we are looking at a woman's, say, fertility ending at 50, Right? And, of course, we can now extend that with technology. We can get donor um, egg and have a woman who is almost any age, as long as she's healthy, have a pregnancy to term. So that's certainly possible. But she's
1: carrying another person's another egg person's, that's been fertilized. That's
2: right. It could have been by her husband or somebody else. I mean, this day, this day and age, we can have a child have five parents. You can have a donor egg, yeah, yeah. donor sperm. Yeah. You can have a surrogate who will carry that child, and then you can have two people who are going to raise that child. Right, right, right. Right. So from the technology perspective, and that raises a whole lot of ethical issues, and you know a whole lot of of conversations that we never had to have before. But can, can,
1: right. I, you, you got me fascinated, But like, so on the eggs thing. Yes. Um, <laughs> it, like a girl is born mm-hmm. and. Um, a child is born female, however you put it. These yes, days. These days, yes, Um And uh, is does that child have eggs at that point?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So let's say me yeah. as a girl. Yeah. When in born, my in my mother's womb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she was in her mother's womb.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. So yeah. that that's the thing because she already had all the eggs that she would ever have yep. in her womb when she was being gestated in right. her mother's womb. Right. So fertility is also transgenerational. You right. see, so what that means is that what you do today, the effect of the health of your fertility today isn't necessarily what you do today. Of course, you can improve and optimize many aspects of your health and your fertility now, but there are impacts that will be had because of how, what exposures your mother had and what exposures your grandmother had. You know, there's lots of research now that shows that your grandmother's diet impacts wow. your child's. You know, in like a, a two it, generations it, it affects, down,
1: it affects her child and her child's child.
2: That's right,
1: and perhaps your your fertility. So, yeah. It, and it, it, is there a I mean, like on average, if we're looking at a like a you know an x y axis and we're looking at the plotting, you know, various numbers of of individuals, is there like a like a mean as to how many eggs. Like we talk about hundred eggs, yeah, so no, eggs, yeah. eggs. Yeah, so no. At
2: birth, we have about three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand eggs. right.
1: And how do they? I mean, how do they? Just assume someone has a pristine life. They live, you know, somewhere fantastic on a mountain, and there's no pollution, and they eat the best food and the best exercise. But how, how do they lose the eggs? Oh, are they, they to, get to, a to
2: to the So basically, as your cycle, women cycle every month, yep, and yep. we have one egg that's released, one. but not one egg is recruited through the maturation process to be released, there's like 30 of them that get recruited and then the best one wins, right? So start
1: again, start again. Sorry. So, so when, when a woman has, uh, experiences her period yes. in the menstrual cycle, there um, is a, they a lose one egg.
2: So there's a, when, when there is a period, yep. there is the beginning of the next ovulation cycle already at play. So hormones are actually starting to recruit oh, the, the next lot of 000 eggs. From the 300,000, 300, it starts to recruit. So let's say, for example, example that in this cycle I've ovulated okay two weeks later is I'm pregnant or I'm going to start cycling again at the end of that cycle if I'm not pregnant then more eggs start to be recruited that recruitment process recruits for the egg that's going to be ovulated in the next cycle recruits about 30 eggs right Right, follicles. So they are then, you know, they start to actually all become influenced by the hormones that mature eggs. And one or two of those typically one, but sometimes, you know, that's how sometimes you have triplets with three different eggs is because more than one egg was released. So what happens is that that maturation process occurs and it affects those hormones affects all of the thirty eggs, to certain degrees, right? Some just die; they're, they're not strong enough, or you know, they just con- they don't continue. But typically, in one cycle, there will be one egg that will be released, and that's ovulation. And then whether that egg is fertilized or not determines whether a woman's going to be pregnant at the end of that particular or cycle. not pregnant or not pregnant.
1: Yeah. So, and in terms of menopause, it. A- is that is that the point at which the cycle no longer produces any eggs
0: That's
2: right. Zero you have eggs. no more eggs to to you have no more eggs to release. Yeah. And so the body goes, okay, no more cycle, that's it. You're done.
1: Right. So, and perimenopause does is that is that just more about symptoms of menopause?
2: You start to have symptoms of you can. But have symptoms. it's an, an
1: indicator of how many eggs you're. The
2: the, the eggs the, start the, to dwindle. Yeah, the the the, the,
1: the, diminishing, the reserve. Yeah, the diminishing amount of eggs.
2: That's right. So uh, the ovarian reserve v- decreases. Very
1: interesting. So um so, so so I got that part right. So I just want to get my head around that bit, if you don't mind. Um, That's okay. So so uh, I understand menopause. I understand perimenopause. Um, the fact that some women and men or some couples have difficulty conceiving or carrying a child Mm -hmm. through the term. Um, How much of our change in the way we live our lives, and I'm not talking about exposure to pollution or whatever like that, uh, just the change in the way we live our lives. In other words, we tend to have kids later Mm -hmm. because, you know, we spend the first ten years trying to save up a deposit or we, whatever, everything's different now. Like, you yes. know, like if you go back 20 years ago, the average borrower in Australia, the average couple who borrowed in Australia were 30, uh, were 27 years of age, today they're 32 years of age. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how much of that is a factor in terms of um, the, need, the need the couples have in terms of getting um, good advice as to how to get pregnant?
2: You're know, starting older, in other Starting words. older. Yeah, I think it's a huge factor. Most couples do start older. And I think that that's where the the reliance upon, you know, you've just gone to your GP and now IVF is the next step is because it, there is this idea societally that, oh, we're running out of time, yep. right? But the reality is that sometimes when there are, especially when there are multi-complex issues situations right that you know a woman might have immunological Issues, or there might be very, very poor sperm parameters, or there are multiple health factors that are unaddressed. You know, like there's, you know, anything that causes the body to be out of balance will in some way affect fertility. So, and the ability to keep a pregnancy to term. And like we said earlier, fertility is a team sport. So it's not enough to just go, Oh, it's a, it's the egg. It's the eggs issue. Oh, the egg is old. Well, it's a woman's problem or it's a woman's fault. It's actually not. What happens is that the egg has the responsibility to fix DNA fragmentation within the sperm, right? So if the sperm is not the absolute best quality sperm there ever was, the egg is going to have to do so much more work in order to be able to withstand cellular division after fertilization occurs. So after the egg and the sperm are put together, that's fertilization, you end up with an embryo that needs to develop. And there's an incredible amount of energy that is required for that to occur. If the egg is spending all its time and effort and energy in a Do you mean the
1: the fertilized egg?
2: The fertilized egg is trying to fix the DNA fragmentation of the sperm that just went inside it. Guess what? all of a sudden we have a situation where the egg is spending more time and energy in fixing the sperm than it is in developing and and being able to divide that embryo, right? Which is a process that kind of starts to take over its own course within a few days of a beginning. But in the very beginning, like you know, up until day three, most egg, most embryos that don't progress past day three don't progress because of sperm issues. And there's a whole lot of you know, these days we can actually see because with IVF cycles you can see how long a, a spur, an egg, uh, sorry, an embryo has lasted in a petri dish, right? So if it there's a if you have twenty eggs and you have ten first, and you end up with a day three um, embryo failure of like seven, right? You know that, okay, well, it's very likely that we're dealing with sperm parameters. Even if we have a failure at embryo transfer, we're still dealing with a 50-50 equation. You know, we know that 50% of the reason as to why miscarriages occur is because of sperm problems as well. So it's not enough to say that, you know, fertility is a woman's issue because it's not, it's a couple's issue, it's a team sport.
1: Yeah, so that's interesting that you said about the uh, the, um, egg has to put a lot of effort into uh, looking after um, rather a lot of energy, which is effort I guess, uh, into fixing up any deficiencies in relation to what the sperm brings to the table. And uh, and that may well be a sperm problem, um, but it doesn't. It's not really a sperm problem. It's it's a it's a couple of problem because maybe the egg doesn't have enough energy. I mean, That's the, right. uh, You know, like yeah. uh, And how do we give it more energy? You know, maybe because the energy is already tired or, or depleted or not up to not up to the speed it should ordinarily be up to. But it's not right to say it's either the man's fault or the woman's fault um, in either way. And I get it. I understand that. So if I'm I mean, we're going to go to the break, but before I go, break, I just want to get my head around something. Um, so. Your business model, and we'll talk about how it gets executed upon, um, you know, like in terms of telehealth, etc. cetera, if, if, if that's the appropriate word. Um, but your model is about explaining and spending time with patients to expli- to actually interrogate them about what's going on in their lives.
2: That's one small – I'll be honest, I think for my where I sit, that's a small perspective. Where do you spend your
1: time when you Where we to...
2: spend our time is diagnostics. Right. It's correlating okay, Actual biology. It, absolutely. Right. So it's looking at right where is this person's biological system at from yeah. a from a test perspective? You so know, so yeah. we're doing Ashton blood tests, tests absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So we're doing medical tests to figure out okay, and then we're correlating those results because it's not enough to look at a test and go, oh yes, that number is within the reference range. Yeah. But there's a whole lot of other things that aren't you know optimal, and so if we're not looking at that in combination, then we end up with looking at reference reference ranges, and this is happens for couples all the time. They go through a battery of tests. They go through I've IVF cycle failed IVF cycle after IVF cycle and literally doctors look at the results and go oh yeah okay well everything's normal just keep trying and it's like but hang on a second I've just had my fifth failed IVF cycle how can you say that everything is normal just keep trying you know and I often say to patients it's like if you had an egg uh, sorry an embryo transferred at the time of transfer you were pregnant full stop whether that embryo developed further into a pregnancy and whether you were able to keep that pregnancy to term, that's a different conversation. But at the time of transfer, pregnancy occurred. So, what happened that made it not continue? What made you not be able to see a positive pregnancy test? That is where the magic happens. It's in figuring out, right, what are all of the steps preceding that moment that we need to address? From a biological perspective to figure out you know what it is that's happening and what's not working and what can be working better to get the outcome that we're looking for so that we're not repeating this cycle of failed cycle after failed cycle so you know the the way and what i said before in terms of like of course we want to utilize environmental factors we want to utilize lifestyle behaviors to our advantage, you know, like, of course, we want to ensure that couples are not drinking, smoking, doing drugs, because guess what? That's going to deplete your system, which is going to make your body have to utilize its own energy for repair and maintenance of all of your other organs and systems first. First, because that is survival. And survival is always going to be a priority when it comes to your body. Fertility is literally the thing that happens when everything else is handled, right? So if we look at how it used to be 10,000 years ago, running away from the saber-toothed tiger, well, guess what? Any organ and system that is not essential for warding off immediate danger, brains, heart, muscles, you know. Closed down. Well, no, they get prioritized. So anything that is not essential... It gets closed down. ...closed down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even immune digestion. system. Immune system, why would you want to you know, fight the bug inside you when the one running after is going to kill you? Digestion, why would you want to digest your food when you're about to become food? Or why food? you want
1: to have sex? Or why do you want to even uh, fertilize something?
2: No. Like the, you would never think, there. exactly, you never think of wanting to have a baby when you're running away from a saber-toothed yeah. tiger. Yeah, totally. So that is essentially what so we're dealing with right issue. now. It's a huge uh, cort-
1: issue. Therefore uh, cortisol must be a big issue. I, well, I want to go to the break and come straight back. I, mean, I want to talk about, uh, I just want to touch on, what's, I, I mean, I, I didn't realise, but the IVF, I, I didn't realise it was an industry within itself. So I want to talk about IVF as an industry, and where it come from, how it become such a big industry. Um, you know And I know lots of people Have gone through IVF As you said I know one guy who Went through five cycles yeah. and his partner um, And eventually They were successful On two occasions But nonetheless I, I want to talk about this stuff So we go straight to the break We're going to come back <music>
0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: So I'm back here now with Gabriella Rosen. She's a fertility specialist. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not my area of strength. Uh, mind you, I got four kids, and uh, I got three. You grandsons. Did well. I got three grandsons as well. So, but like, so I must have done something right. But, um, but I'm a, one. Maybe I'm one of the lucky ones. And I was much. I was quite young when I tried all this. As was as were my wives. It wasn't just one. It was a couple. Um, so, and I, and a lot of this area is new to me. But I do have friends who have gone through fertility uh, IVF to IVF clinics in order to conceive. The whole IVF thing, I just thought it was normal. I just thought that this is a normal thing that people do, especially if they get older and they start trying to have kids. And a lot of these friends of mine, they decided to have careers first and get married later and they married um, partners who were similar sort of age but they didn't start trying to have kids later. And I had one friend, she didn't have a kid until she, she – she decided to have another child when she was – no, she had her first child when she was 50, 49. Mm. And uh, it took a number of uh, IVF processes. Can you just explain to me what the hell IVF is um, and where the hell did it come from and how is it such a big part of our system today? Like,
2: yeah. uh, you just yeah. take me through that for me. There's, there's a great question. So IVF is in vitro fertilisation and it was instituted – well, actually it was first um, successful in 1978 and so it has been around for a little while. The thing about IVF is that it was developed to address tubal factor infertility. So women who basically didn't have fallopian tubes or had blocked fallopian tubes could actually have a chance of having a baby. Today IVF is used for everything and anything from immunological infertility to sperm parameter issues to you know egg poor egg quality and ovarian reserve perimenopause, you know, all of those but, different factors. But, 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 but so what is it though? Is they put so in a dish or how they does it do work? So basically what they do is that there is a whole, there's a drug protocol that a person will like, usually a woman will inject herself with lots of different types of drugs at different types of the cycle. What do they do? So they start to mature to so basically get more eggs to be recruited at one time. So remember right. how we were saying, yep. you know, in terms of egg recruitment. So it's about like how can we stimulate the ovaries to produce as many eggs as possible under a safe limit because you can also overstimulate and then it actually can be a fatal condition. So a,
1: a woman in this in this example would inject herself or something or take a tablet or something. Or it uh, in, no injections. Injection so inject herself with some sort of um, uh, some sort of some chemical that um, uh, uh, stimulates uh, the production of the eggs. production of eggs yeah um, during her cycle yeah. and those get harvested
2: they get harvested vice s- in surgical uh, in a surgical environment yep, so yep. basically you need to actually go under um, anesthesia yep. and you know those eggs get oh, really? retrieved yeah uh, so those eggs get retrieved and then, and then what happens they and they... imagine that some people have to go through that ten times before yeah, yeah. it's successful it's you know, it sounds
1: rough and expensive, but they, they they they
2: So see. they retrieve the eggs. Once the eggs are retrieved, yeah. they basically s- s- attempt to fertilize the eggs with the sperm. Oh, so they can't keep them, and they can. But it's actually still to this day, egg freezing is not the most effective procedure in terms of delivering a healthy baby at the end of it. It's becoming very popular because it's profitable, but it's certainly not. Um, there's still the the actual rate of women who end up having a healthy baby from frozen eggs on their own is lower than frozen embryo so basically it's actually like and of course frozen frozen eggs started because women who had cancer for example were going to have chemotherapy wanted it first exactly so they did that first they wanted a a possibility of being able to or a woman who
1: doesn't have a partner
2: yeah, these think, days it's being used for that. Yeah, but yeah. it started being used for the purposes of, you know, you have to have chemotherapy, then yeah, let's yeah, retrieve yeah. some eggs so that we have yeah. that opportunity or that possibility in the future, usually for or much I'm about younger to die girls.
1: And uh, I want my uh, husband or my partner to be able to have a kid so I'll, I'm happy for eggs to be retrieved. You know,
2: that's where the, the like ethical consideration – Yeah, the, those ethical considerations. I mean, in some countries around the world that's not allowed. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's lots of ethical –
1: That's all bullshit. <laughs> I mean, for me anyway, it's your fucking body, it, you <laughs> do what you want. <laughs> like. But anyway, so, but, so, so you should retrieve these eggs as a result and, and you know, you try to optimise the amount of eggs that come out. Optimise, I don't mean maximise, but optimise. That's optimize. right, And that's done through sort of injections, et cetera.
2: That's uh, right. What's
1: the dude, guy, the dude doing? What's he doing? Well,
2: he's kind of not doing much. He's chilling. Right. Right. So he's chilling until the day in which he needs to provide his sample. Right.
1: So you've got the eggs. Yes, IVF's got the eggs, and they either decide for reason or keep them available. So on the day of retrieval,
2: on the day of retrieval, the man has to provide his sample. Right. Okay. So that then they basically get a little petri dish and they put literally yes, literally, literally. So unless it's ICSI, intracytoplasmic sperm injection, which is you get one sperm and you put it into the egg, but basically that's done in situations where there's poor, poor count, motility, morphology, so shape, how they swim, etc. How do they get those? The, the egg yeah. or no, the, same the, sperm, way. Sperm. the sperm? No, the sperm is, well, I mean, typically it's still produced via sample, via yeah. masturbation, yeah. right? But in some instances. I heard someone,
1: my my and mine told me they had to. So this is the it. thing.
2: So that in some oh instances. <laughs> Well, at least did, did you have to have a cut in half? Because some men do have to have a cut in half. So, um, yeah, so those, the TZ or, you know, those types of procedures happen when there is very low sperm count or nothing is produced by masturbation in a yep, sample. Yep, yep, yep. So then, yes, there is an option of that. And that would then have to have ICSI because you don't have, in order to have in a Petri dish one egg, um, you have to have a minimum of 100,000 sperm right. in that. Petri dish in order to have the potential of fertilization. So if you don't have that many sperm, you then would be using ICSI, in which case you would re- retrieve the sperm in whatever way you can. Because
1: sometimes you see, um, I've seen vision like videos where, like, is like, a, like what looks like to be the egg, and then something gets injected yes, into it. Yes, that's ICSI. That's ICSI, mm-hmm. but that's not really how IVF or usually happens. Normally, they just IVF
2: is usually the petri dish, right? Where put the egg, put the sperm surrounding it, let and it do its thing. Their, they do their
1: best. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So right. there's
2: media culture that goes in there as well, yeah. and you know they just leave it for a few days and observe it, like in the incubator, so that it's temperature controlled, it's you know nutrient controlled, and literally just kind of let let it sit there and see what it does for five to six days. Right. So
1: let's say we got that's successful, either through injection or, or alternatively through you know them all hanging yep, out yep, together, yep. and uh, they're in the petri dish, and then you got you got a fertilized egg. What happens then? Do they freeze it?
2: It depends. So if the, it depends if the woman is ready to actually receive an embryo transfer. Sometimes her lining might not be prepared, might be ready, might be too thick. Then it's better to freeze it and then wait a cycle and do it for the next cycle. So it will just depend on like what happened in that cycle. Also if the woman – hyper-stimulated, you know, if there's way too many eggs, she's going to need a cycle or two to just, you know, get her body back Calm into down. into balance. And so in those situations, if there, if there are embryos, then they get frozen and then they get transferred at another time.
1: So they, they, at some stage then they take the embryo, embryo out or the, the fertilised egg out and they re-inject it or whatever you call it, put, put it back if, into the if woman's… If it thaws
2: well. Sometimes these, these, each one of these steps, unfortunately, can… Just fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So from the, like, you might have 20 eggs or 20 follicles that become, you know, a couple of eggs that become no no embryo, so it just really depends, you know, on what happens. And sometimes you have like you know twenty eggs, actual eggs, they eighteen fertilize, and you end up with no embryos. Like I've seen this in my clinic often, and so then you have to go into a real, you know, what I like to call a treasure hunt to figure out okay why a
1: deep dive, yeah, yeah,
2: super super so deep okay, dive. okay. So we we got to that
1: point. So we're now I'm none of us worked, okay. So yeah. I, I, I ring up Rose and I say, listen, I'm. Like getting the shits for this, I've done five of these IVF cycles and nothing's happening. We're all blaming each other and we're all getting stressed out. And I'm, you know, I'm at an age, you know, I'm the female talking. Well, we're both at ages where you know we've got to do something. We want to do something quick because we don't want to be you know 110 when the kids having his 21st birthday. Um, what is ha- what what happens there? Do they obviously it's it's done via video. Uh, It's not You don't have a clinic as such. And I could be in any country in the world. Yes. What does Rose's team do? What's the first thing you say to me? What's one of the first things you say I should go and do?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, at this day and age, I assess every case to ensure that we can actually help that couple because we're also looking at, you know, how can we demonstrate clinical effectiveness for the couples that we actually help, that we are able to benefit. I want to know In order to be able to run a pilot, to be able to say, okay, right, let's look at effectiveness and compare treatments and all of those kinds of things, you have to first demonstrate effectiveness, clinical effectiveness. And so from my perspective, I'm looking at, okay, is there work to be done? Is it work we can do? Have we done it before in a similar set of circumstances? That's my first step is actually figuring out, okay, what are we dealing with? Because sometimes, you know, I might have couples who come to me and they're like, I have, no fallopian tubes, and I absolutely will not do IVF. Well, I'm not a magician, (laughs) right? And so I can't do anything about those kinds of cases. But when I look and assess a case and figure out, okay, what's happening here and can we help, then we go on to the next step, which is I want to know how likely are we to take home a baby comparing our data. So essentially taking a couple, comparing their situation with couples like them who have gone through the program and how likely are they to take home a healthy baby? Through the study that we did, I actually built a predictive model that is able to tell me with 95% accuracy, like who is likely to take home a baby In a and statistical who sense. Statistical, yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking at, okay, well, can we help so or can just, we not? So, just so it's
1: clear for listeners, that doesn't mean that you are right 95% of the time, but what it means is that… Statistically, you can you have got a ninety five percent confidence level that your that prediction is correct. Exactly, in a statistical sense. That's, that's right. just, I just want to make sure listeners know that. That's, yeah, there's a big difference. Absolutely, it's not really a success rate. Um, no, 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 percentage. the
2: success rate, the success rate of our success statistic- rate was 78.8%. Yeah, yeah, this is so statistical, this is statistical-, uh, statistical
1: uh, relevance as opposed to anything else. Confidence, okay. yeah. Yep. Okay, so, so, so you, uh, sorry, go on. So because you must have a big database. And, uh, uh,
2: absolutely. Yep. I mean, it's been a long time, right? So, yeah, yeah. you know, from that perspective, we're looking at, okay, how likely are we? Because then we can actually start to make, uh, understand, you know, what, what is likely to work in, in what you're situation. you're looking for proxies. Always. Based on your always. population, the
1: population of people you've treated over the years. Absolutely. So and
2: really what we're also looking at is that there are people who we cannot help. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. So, so you select some we're, out. We're absolutely doing selection bias here. Yeah, yeah. No, you no, know? no I understand that. I, I guess. And, <laughs> and by the way,
1: in the process, in the proxy chasing process, I mean, do you look at the factors like um, nationality,
2: because we, we, we literally, yeah, no, we've opened it up, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've opened it up to everybody. But continent. is that, is that so a factor? Is
1: nationality? In, in our w-
2: data, it's not so much. No, right. So in our data, we don't see that, that as being an issue. In fact, I think that one of the biggest factors that gets in the way is whether people will actually do the thing you know, like mm. whether they're willing to be committed to actually addressing some of the issues that are found. Can you for explain example, yes. Well, right. for example, you know, like if somebody smokes and they don't want to give up smoking and they're having fertility problems, well, guess what, like that's yeah. not really going to help you, right? So there, there are lots of things that people do that in the general sense, like – you mentioned your friend, right, where he smokes and whatever and had however many children. Oh,
1: I was just made, yeah, making that up. anyway, go on.
2: But, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the reality of it is that there will be people like that, yes. that they can do those things and they will have babies and we – have to put a question mark on the health of that child because we know that there is genetic imprinting that goes on with different environmental exposures like cigarette smoking for example and the health of the child in the future so of course the health of the child is impacted but the reality of the matter is that if somebody is trying to get pregnant they're not successful and there are a whole lot of things that they are doing that is detrimental to their health or that they're not doing that is detrimental to their health if they're not willing to change those factors.
1: Can you explain? Maybe just throw a few, like uh, obviously the obvious ones are cigarettes, etc. But um, what are the what are some of the things that? And this would come. This is more observational, I guess, than anything else. But you know, what are some of the factors that cause problems? Is it age? Is it cigarettes? Is Look, it, what does is lifestyle a, include?
2: Yeah, age is a big factor. A lifestyle is anything that impacts you. You know, we're sitting in a room, built environment, lights, table, volatile organic compounds, carpet, you know, like all of these things will have an impact. So different people have different exposures, right? But every exposure, anything that we breathe, anything that we put on our skin, anything that we put on our bodies, anything that we consume. Do
1: you ask about all that?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. We so ask you, about all of those things. So you
1: interrogate quite deeply.
2: We go very deep, yeah, very yeah. deep. So, you know, even from the what kind of commuting do you do? Because somebody might be doing like they might have terrible sperm, you know, from a, from a like, you know, and that's probably not the best way to describe it, but the sperm might be very poor quality and they're cycling for an hour a day in peak hour traffic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? You've got the pressure and the heat on the testicles. You have all of the fumes, the chemical fumes from the cars all around. And we have evidence from a semen analysis that we have poor quality sperm. Is that something that we do something about or not? Hmm. Makes sense to do something about yeah, it if yeah. we know that okay, in, as an outcome, we are seeing poor sperm sperm parameters. So of course, that might not be the only thing we need to do. They might be eating hamburgers seven days a week, and then we need to have a look at okay, well, what about your nutritional status? Where are we actually sleep? Sleep, you know, stress, yeah, all of those factors they all play a role. So in So you some you way. you
1: interrogate all that stuff. We
2: look at all of that. So it's a,
1: and and in terms of biological testing as opposed to interrogation, um. What, what sort of tests do you order? You obviously order, order blood tests, I presume. Um, There's what are you yeah, looking blood for? tests,
2: semen analysis. Oh, you, know, like,
1: you actually ask for, we for do semen, all of it. semen samples? Absolutely.
2: And, you know, if we find that there are testicular issues, then we might send them to a urologist who yep. will do ultrasounds, who will do investigate. Inv- inv- sometimes we have to do surgery. Sometimes, you know. So it's really it, – it is not a fixed process, Right so there is a framework yeah, yeah. that I have been developing over the last two decades that we look at all of these things to make sure that okay have we got a sense Of what's happening across all of this some things are going to be the two percent that make eighty percent the result the difference some things will be you know a combination of factors that won't give us that much of an effect so we don't focus on those things you know like so i'm always looking for minimum effective dose of anything whether it's effort or energy or you know resources whatever it is so it's like looking at okay out of all of these situation that we see, what are the things that are going to give us the most effective, fastest time to pregnancy that we can get?
1: So then, what happens? So do you? you select, okay, so you interrogate the couple, and um, you you effectively include and eliminate various things. And let's say you put them. I guess you then say, look, we found we've got these views on these particular things that are affecting your being, your personal, your person. Um, do you put them on a program first?
2: Yeah. But you know, like actually just to take one step back, I always talk about when people say to me, okay, what is it that you're actually recommending people to do? I always say this, act pregnant now to get pregnant later. And that affects both partners because you see right now within you, you have 50% of that little baby that you want to create. If you're trying to get pregnant, if you're a man, you have 50% of that baby. If you're a woman, you have 50% of that baby. So if you could imagine or visualize being pregnant and what are the things that you would absolutely start doing and that you would absolutely stop doing if you were pregnant right now, those are the things that you want to start doing or stop doing As you are preparing and trying to get pregnant, no matter how you're trying to get pregnant, whether it's natural conception, whether it's IVF, it doesn't matter. The effect is always going to be the same, is that you want to optimize everything you can because there are things that you can do absolutely nothing about. You know, there are certain diagnoses that you might be finding that, you know, you can't change, but you can still optimize the way in which the body works around it, right? So if we can kind of keep that one in mind of like, okay, if I want to be the healthiest that I can be to have uh, the outcome that I want, which is a healthy pregnancy to determine a healthy baby, then act pregnant now to get pregnant later is the way to go about no, it. That's a good
1: saying. So, so you, you're, you, you, you tell them that because you, you've done your, your, you know, your um, testing of blood tests and various other things, you know, semen testing, et cetera, and you've done your interrogation and you, you've sort of said act
2: Pregnant, pregnant
1: now yep. as if you are pregnant yes and, you know change your lifestyle as if you are pregnant yes um right now and yes. uh, and do it do you then say to them, at some stage they should go – like do you say, let's just try and do it naturally and or do you say, nah, forget that, we're going to – I, I think I'll refer you to an IVF clinic. Yeah,
2: sometimes we don't try and do it naturally at all. Sometimes all we're doing is optimising everything we can to give them the best possible chance to do IVF. Right. Sometimes we're like, mm, I don't know that you need IVF. Let's do these things first and yep. let's then see how that works. Yep. And typically, you know, people – will generally get pregnant pretty quickly if they didn't really need IVF to begin with. Now there are certain situations where, you know, like there there are no fallopian tubes or the fallopian tubes are damaged, or we still need to, you know, we we've improved sperm to a certain extent, but we still don't have the count that we need. Or it's motility. For natural conception. Or motility would typically improve very, very well in every way. Like in every time every sense. In in every situation. But you know, like count can sometimes be, although you I've seen situations of count, like there's a baby that we've put in our baby gallery recently who is the second kind of baby in this family when the father first came to me the mother's a medical doctor in the uk when they come came to me the first time around his sperm was 0.2 million it needs to be at least 20 million and through treatment we got his sperm to 52 million and he was able to affect natural conception they had gone through and done two failed um icsi cycles before coming to us and they were able to then conceive take home you know a healthy baby went went away Um, after their first child, went and did another because she was getting older and then there was this whole kind of idea around, well, we better hurry up, went, did another failed IVF cycle, did another failed IVF, so two failed IVF cycles, and then went, well, actually, no, we better go back. (laughs) So they came back and conceived naturally the second time around again. And the first time she was already being told, you know, ah, your eggs are no good, you need donor egg and, you know, all of these things. So it was a multifactorial issue in this situation where she was being told you know your eggs are no good and the sperm is definitely not where it needs to be so you need to go down down this path and that was the only option that was given until she fell through it twice and went well you know I need to try something else. And that's usually what happens with most people when they find us. It's like they're going, you know, I've done all of these things and it hasn't worked and I was told that that was the thing that was going to work, so I need to find something else. The problem with that often, and this is why for me, it is so important to integrate something that is scientifically based into the healthcare system because what happens is that if you don't do that, if you don't have some kind of really robust foundational you know, system or service that you actually implement, you end up with like the wild west, Right, where you have people who are health coaches that have had two days of training recommending flaxseed, you know, to balance your hormones. And it's like, oh, my dear Lord, you know, it becomes like, and then of course, patients become so confused who to trust. Well, it's horrible, you know, and I see this. And then they waste so much precious fertility potential and time because they're trying these things that are completely nonsensical and that will never work. Right. But they think, well, you know, that. Influencer on Instagram said that it would, so I'm going to try it.
1: Oh my god! <laughs> so your, your 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 model then, um, uh, the uh, Rosa Institute, is it is it apart from um, being a a like a clinic, although it's not physical, but it's like a, it's an advisory business where you give people advice effectively after doing the interrogation and the testing as to how they can optimize their opportunity or Mm the chances and we
2: treat as well and you you treat treat,
1: yeah um but the does institute is it a research institute as
0: well we
2: are we are we are and that's where we've been collecting data you know for all this time and you know my my doctoral project is kind like i have another year and a half of this doctorate to finish and then i'm going to really focus on okay what are the next steps where is the horizon for us you know and really Technology is is amazing. Well, I was going to ask you about AI
1: because I mean, <laughs> I mean, I would have thought AI had a role to play in all this.
2: Look, I think that learning machine, and uh, machine, machine learning. learning methods, and you know, like data for for this kind of thing is is incredible. Well, you have and enough data. We have, yeah, we definitely have enough data, and we've we've started to dabble in it. You know, like these prediction models that we've. Built and that we've created really for the purposes of actually understanding who are the best couples that we can serve, so that we can then grow that. But are they, is but really are they, the, the next I, step.
1: I think you said, Rosa. I, I think, and I, I might be incorrect. You can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. But they're not computer generated um, predictive models. They're more predictive models that you built yourself. And this is a, No,
2: this is a learning. This is machine oh, I mean, learning. So, so it is okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you
1: built machine. You've used machine learning to build predictive models. That's right. Um, based on the data that you have. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's okay. Right. Well, so you are using AI. We um, are. Yeah, we yeah. are. But, but the the AI future- is not being used. I don't dial into your website. What is the name of your website, by the way?
2: Yet you, you well, don't yet. Fertilitybreakthrough.com.
1: Fertilitybreakthrough.com. I don't. But at this stage, I don't dial in and uh, put in a whole lot of information in there, or, or
2: not answer yet. Answer
1: interrogation of the, of the software, and then the software gives me. An outcome straight away, but that—that's the future, is it? That
2: is my future. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. is my future. And is that what the Rose Institute though is um, developing?
2: That is what we're working on right because now. Because yeah.
1: clinicians take that up, though, other clinicians I, around look, the world.
2: To be honest, GPs, I think GPs, that, that I, I want to—I want to replace myself, really. You know, because really, at the end of the day, I think that there is so much benefit for population levels. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm studying public health for a reason, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. This is population yeah, level yeah, 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 yeah. Um, information. Yeah. that I think can benefit every human, yeah, yeah. right? And so from the perspective of what it is that I'm really wanting to to focus on is like, okay, how can we actually build something that is as simple as you can pick up your phone and go, these are some of the parameters, these are some of my data, and what do you recommend that I do? Yeah. And, you know, we have enough data to be able to say Right. This is what you should do.
1: And the more people we get doing that, you get more data too. Absolutely. So, you know, it just builds on itself. So, and absolutely. And so that's
2: why we're selecting for couples who we can best serve. Yeah. Right. So and you want
1: machine learning to replace you?
2: Well, I do. Yeah. I do because I think machines. Yeah. I, look. I mean, the thing is, the, the the trap with machine learning is where you start to get you know bad data in there. Yeah. And so you need, and that that's why kind of figuring out, okay, how can we best select, and how can we Discern between what's good data for this kind of thing and what's bad data. That's going to be really important. But I think that there is absolutely, and it's being used. Um, machine learning now has been is being used for selecting the best embryo to be transferred. You know, so it's definitely something that is already. Being utilised. At the IVF level. At the IVF level, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, And so it's it's really looking at, okay, well, what are, what are the expansion points that are going to benefit the way – like for me, it really is about being the ve- be- very best version of yourself. How can we do that? How can we know the things that for this person are going to be the things to work on that is going to provide the greatest uplift – for their situation, right? Because I might recommend to you that you need to go and exercise 30 minutes a day and you know do this and do that. For another person, that recommendation is completely mute because they're already doing more than that. And they're already at that particular thing that they do. They don't need to focus on that. That's going to bring them no benefit. But for somebody who has insulin resistance, who's a couch potato, who is doing nothing, who's eating a lot of sugar, that recommendation is going to make a huge difference. So being able to actually really discern who should get that recommendation and who shouldn't, and mind you, that's just, you know, on the, on the lifestyle factor of like, you know, what do I do and versus what I don't do and what's going to make a difference because that's also another really big thing is that people don't act on things that they are recommended because they think, well, I don't think that's going to work for me, right? So then how do we know for real Hmm. what's going to work for one person versus another and what should the recommendation be for this person versus this person? And that's one of the things that we practice the most right now within the Rose Institute. It's actually really looking at – we hold our patients' hands from beginning to baby. So it's not just advising on what you should do about lifestyle and diet and sleep and, you know. That's, sure, a foundation, like I said, upon which you can overlay effective treatment. But if they do need to go down other paths, then we actually guide them and say, look, for your situation based on these things, you can do this and you can do this. If you do this, this is the pro, this is the con. This other situation gives you this. And so it's really helping people to navigate much faster than what they would be doing if if they were trying to figure it out on their own, right? And we're using various methods to do that. You know, sure, expertise is the first because that's essentially what we've done over a long period of time. But now I'm wanting to see, okay, how can we actually scale that?
1: Yeah, and and machine learning. Well, online, uh, digital, um, effectively a bot, um, but they can learn about things this is probably the best way to make things accessible on a global basis anyway, like on more occasional And equitable. And you can't – because you can't repeat – you can't build – 10,000 Gabriella Roses. No,
2: exactly. I mean, as so, you'd
1: like to be able to do that, but you can't.
2: No, I wouldn't, actually. No, no, no. no, no, no. no. The world doesn't need 10,000 of
1: me. Uh, well, maybe, but, uh. Uh, but well, it depends. If, if you're the patient, I mean, maybe you are. You would like to be able to get access to Gabriella Rose, especially, Gabriella Rose, especially if you're in a country like Kenya or something like that, and you're, you know, desperate to have a kid, and uh, you and your partner are desperate to have a kid, and um, you can't afford you, or you can't get access to you, or whatever. Um, but look, I'm going to have to finish off there. But like, I, I find this whole conversation quite fascinating. I'm mean, going to learn a lot, to be honest with you, um, about um, the whole IVF program and uh, and the um, the intricacies. So it's not a clear cut decision to go down IVF as I always thought it would be. I just thought you, as you said, you go to GP. GP says, "Oh, well, I'm going to refer you to IVF clinic." And you go to the IVF clinic, and you do your best, and just hopefully it happens the first round, or it might happen the tenth round if you can afford it. Um, yeah, But that's there's, right. a, there's a lot more to it, a lot more to it. And um, I I really appreciate um, uh, your detail, in some cases, a very detailed explanation of what you guys do at the Roser Institute. So I wish you the best. I, I, I'm going to be so fascinated to see how you develop machine learning in the future and actually how you're going to roll it out to the, especially you studying or doing a PhD in uh, mm-hmm. public health, um, roll it out to the greater masses. Yeah. Like, I, and it's great to see an Australian doing that. Yeah. So yeah. well done. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks Thank very you. much.